Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I'll give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Ryan. He is here to talk a lot about his life, his experience in the military, some rising up from deep falls, and just a bunch of other different things about where he's been all over the world. So I'm excited to hear all of his stories and all of the good things that he's got to say. So Ryan, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Of course, yeah. Thanks for having us on, Sarah. Um, yeah, originally from Scotland, um, now moved down south to the, the deepest, darkest ways of England in Essex, just outside London. Had a great career in the Royal Air Force, spent seven years out there, so travelled the world, seen some places, um, seen some lots of different aspects of the world. Spent, after I left, spent a few years out in working out in Afghanistan in Kabul as a civilian contractor. Funnily enough, working for the American uh, Department of Defense. After that, came back after two years and um, set up my own recruitment company. Uh, and that has its, uh, as you can imagine, its uh, um, pitfalls as well. Lost everything in one day, which I'm sure we'll go into later on. And uh, yeah, now started off my own second company, which has gone quite well, to be quite honest with you. So it's been, it's been uh, a crazy, crazy few years, but uh, I'm still here talking about it, which is good fun. Awesome. So can you start a little bit about how and why you joined the Royal Air Force? I kind of came from a military background, to be quite honest. My family, originally from Glasgow, we came from like a, up in Scotland, there wasn't really much going on. Um, job-wise or anything like that. So you either went into the military or you went into like kind of a trade, sort of like kind of welding or, I don't know, like anything you can use your hands with, you can keep with proper trade-wise. I didn't really think much into the military, but my family were in the military on my dad's side. Uh, my great grand, my, my granddad, unfortunately I didn't meet him. Uh, he died before I was born. He was in the, the army and he was a, a warrant officer too. And he was quite old. So he was in the back end of the Second World War. And he was a medic, which was great, but he sustained some injuries. He, he was in North Africa. He's actually one of the desert rats out there. So he was in North Africa working, or what I say working, helping out there. And um, he got some injuries. He got blown up one of his, uh, uh, when he was driving down the, the, the kind of road, of that, so to speak, he got blown up and... He injured himself quite badly, but he was he survived. It was great. Then during that time, he left, had, had my dad, um, and then went through there. But due to the fact that we've had uh, a lot of kind of military family, if that makes sense, and my granddad was in the military, his dad was, his dad was, for generations. I think we're looking about going back about seven or eight generations, all the military. And my dad was only one that hasn't been in the military. The sole reason is my grandmother seen what it did to, obviously, my granddad and didn't want that for him. So my dad really kind of grew up in that military kind of aspect and life, but went off into doing, as I say in Scotland, a trade, and he was like a welder. And um, during that time, I was always very interested in the military. Uh, my dad obviously told me stories about my grandparents and where he was and the ins and outs of that. I was always very 
interested in it, but I wanted to do it, but I didn't want to do it, if that makes sense. I was like, yeah, the military's great. I love the aspects of it, but it was just a little bit, mm, what one do I go into? Because my granddad was in the army, and my dad was like, the army's great, don't get me wrong, he's grew up in the army, but I think you should go into a different force because you've got the, obviously, Army, Navy, and Royal Air Force. He said, I want you to go into the Air Force because the new technology that's been brought in, there's new opportunities there, and you can do a lot of great things. And I was like, okay. So there's a funny story to this, to be honest, because I was actually torn between joining the military or becoming a policeman. I was going to join the Metropolitan Police at the same time. So I said to my dad, what should I do? And he went, well, go for both at the same time and see how you got on. And it's better to have two options than no options or have the, to choose than having nothing. I was like, great, that's a great idea. So I went for both. So I got the letter, this is a great story, this. So I, it's quite embarrassing to be fair. I got a letter through from the Metropolitan Police saying, thanks for your application, you've been accepted, come, well, you, you pass the next stage. Come to Hendon, which is in North London, which is the training place, um, and come for an interview. And then at the same time, I had the same thing with the Royal Air Force. I went to the careers office, found out the paperwork, and they're like, yeah, we'd love to have you on board. The Royal Air Force, the, the forces were very quick. There was nothing else. They're like, right, if you want to join, here's a date. Come and join us. And I was like, wow. Uh, obviously, the, the police was a bit different. You have to go through like you know, interviews and processes and making sure you can cut the mustard sort of thing. So I went to Hendon, brought my letter with me, all suited up. I was only young. I was in... 18 at the time, you know, and it's just like gelled all hair. What I had hair, I don't know if you can see, I'm not getting a hair at the minute, but I had all gelled hair and all that sort of stuff. Looking good, all suited up, booted, rocked up to the front desk, handed my letter over and said, I'm here for an interview. And they went, okay, thanks for that, but you're here on the wrong day. And I went, oh, what do you mean? And he goes, your interview was yesterday. And I went, you're joking. I went, nah, your interview was yesterday. And I went, can I schedule another one? I went, you have to go through the whole application process went, again. And I went, okay, looks like I've joined the Royal Air Force then. <laughs> so I joined the RAF instead, which was uh, one of the main, it's a, it's, a, it's a funny reason to start uh, to join the Air Force and uh, the forces, but it's uh, one of the best things I've ever done, to be fair. And that was the kind of fundamental start of my Air Force career, to be honest. Oh, gosh, that's great. And probably you're not the only one who that has ever happened to. I'm sure it's it's happened to others. So can you talk a little bit about what you did in the Royal Air Force? Yeah, of course. I was uh, an RAF supplier. And uh, the way I describe it is literally I um I thought you don't really have like, um, it's like a, I just get bits and pieces for the aircraft. So if the aircraft goes down, it goes, uh, um, I don't know, breaks, basically. It goes OS, it's called. It's the military term. It goes OS. Uh, there's something wrong with it. The, the aircraft technicians come over and they come to us and say they evaluate it and they go, oh, we need this, this, that, and the other parts. They come to me and I have to go and find it for them. Go and source it. If we've got it in stock, we get it. If we don't, we don't. And it's uh, it's like a, I'm like a market salesman, if that makes sense. You know, I'm, I'm like an overgrown salesperson or a... Uh, something like that but it was in different aspects of it so there's obviously your forward stores who were right on the front line of doing that but then you had a refueling section as well where you went out and refueled it so it was mostly in logistics mostly that's the, the fundamental part of it so it was, it was really good i really enjoyed it to be honest 
Yeah. And then what was it like going and working for the U.S. Department of Defense? It was a weird one, really, because it was it was different. Because from the from the when I was working in the actual RAF, I went all over the world. I went everywhere, um, all around. But you were mostly in the military. And the one the main reasons why I left the military was I didn't want to stay in too long. Because when you're in the military, they teach you. I mean, I was only a 19 year old kid. I didn't really have much experience. I'm still living at home, and then all of a sudden, I am thrown into this sort of way of life that I had no understanding about. I was like, well, I'm, I've not even lived by myself. I was I, Before I joined, I was still in college working in IT. Didn't want to do that anymore. So I decided to work in a bar for a year, which is probably the best year I've had in a long time, by the way. And if anyone's listening to this, the 17 or 18 or 21 over in the US, get a chance to work in a bar, go for it. It's great fun. Take a year out. Just be a barman. But... Um, so, yes, I had no understanding of what life was all about. So when I jumped in the Air Force, I was like, okay, this is great. It's some guy shouting at me. I had no idea. I, I mean, when – I don't know if, you've, if you know much uh, in the U.S. or much about Essex at all. It's, some, it's, it's, like, it's like Jersey. It's like Jersey Shore, another Jersey Shore program. That's the only way I can describe it. It's like that. Everyone's all tanned. Everyone's all gelled hair, all looking good. Obviously, from Scotland, I wasn't like that. But as soon as I got thrown into that mix, I was like, yeah, I'm having some of this. I want to look good. So I had the shirt on. Look at all the chains and the braid. I looked amazing as soon as I walked up there. And the first thing that happened when I walked through the door of, of my RAF training was this six foot six massive guy who must have been six foot six tall and six foot six wide. This guy was a tank with his with his with his cane, his pace stick underneath, with his hat on, his peak pointing down, shouting at me, get that jewellery off. And he was effing blinding at me. And I'm like, oh, eyes just like in rabbit and headlights going, what the hell have I just walked into? My dad obviously is behind me. He knows it all. He understands it. He's laughing his head off going, welcome to the real world, buddy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, here we go. Here we go. But... So when I was in the, the, the Air Force, I didn't want to stay in too long because the, the military aspect, they build you. I was only, a, a, as I say, I was a shy, introverted teenager. But the good thing about the, the forces is they bring something out of you you don't know is there. They bring out the confidence and they bring out you can take on the world and all that sort of stuff. And that is, same. I would imagine, same with the U.S. military. It's just what any military does. They make you great sort of thing so you can do your job properly if that's the main thing but the problem is is in that sort of aspect of it you don't know what the real world is like because you're kind of wrapped in cotton wool you're wrapped in this you're in this little kind of community bubble so you don't know about rent you don't know about like kind of uh, paying bills you don't know anything about sort of like kind of financial wise you all you get is a wage at the end of the month that's yours to do what you want with. You've got your accommodation paid for already. You've got your food paid for already. But So you, you've got like a few few grand and you just go out and spend it. So when you leave the military, it's a massive culture shock to being in the military for so long and then coming out and going, oh, this is the real world. And I, I believe the transition from the military life to civilian life is really quite hard for some people the longer they stay in. Because I've had people, I've seen people who have been, in there for life. They started off when they were like 16 and they're leaving in their 40s and they can't handle they, they, they can't handle that transition. Yeah, they had 
their own house, they had their own place, but it's not the same because it's all you're still in that bubble to looking after you. But as soon as you leave, you're on your own. You've got to look after yourself. So I said to myself, I didn't want to stay in for that much. Well, I wouldn't say a length of time. I did seven years. So I didn't want to stay in for too long. So I could still, when I left, still have a career if I wanted to do something different. I'd still be able to adapt. I wouldn't say properly, because it was quite hard, even when I was only in there for seven years, still quite hard to adapt into civilian life. So it was just, it was a little bit kind of, touch and go in that aspect so when I got the opportunity to work out with the, uh, in Afghanistan it was actually um, my old corporal I left 2009 I left uh, and you can imagine that is literally the height of the recession it's a massive worldwide recession the worst one that could ever happen for about 70 years so I decided to leave and try and get a job to <laughs> that was interesting so it was trying to, I couldn't really get much. And um, I got my, I was doing like kind of contract work, still logistics, still wanted to keep in the logistics side of things. So I was still doing that, but I was doing like kind of maternity cover or six month contract work. Didn't really get anything stable. And it wasn't until one of my ex corporals gone me- messaged me through Facebook, funny enough, saying, Are you still looking? I said, Yeah. He goes, Well, there's an opportunity for the company I'm working with. And I went, okay, that's great. Whereabouts is it? He went, it's in Afghanistan. And I was like, oh, okay then. That's now interesting. <laughs> because this is how much you get paid. This is what, oh, and it, is, is it tax-free? It's tax-free as well. So I was like, oh, you, you had my attention. You know, <laughs> now you've got my curiosity. Now you've got my attention. So um, that's how really I started. And it was, we were civilian contractors working for the DOD, but they kind of left us alone a little bit. So it wasn't really, we were working with like the kind of military out there, but not, it was more third party, more than actually directly with them. But it was interesting, to be fair, working with a whole wide range of different nationalities. You know, we had, well, obviously, Americans, we had um, Europeans from like Dutch, Germans, all that sort of stuff, uh, Indians, Nepalese, and uh, Japanese people. It was great fun. It was actually really, really good fun. The, because of the situation we were in, we had to make the best of a bad situation or where we were in at the time. So we had to, that sort of like a kind of military camaraderie was still there. So it was actually a really good, good laugh to be fair uh, at times, but there was some hairy times as well. Of course. Yes. They can't all be great. So can you talk a little bit about the cultures, whether that was in Afghanistan, what you're seeing or the various other places you have been across the world? Um, yeah. The different you know, it's really strange, and I love traveling. I always have done, and I think I got the traveling bug when I was in the forces. There's a lot of opportunities there, which I wish I took more advantage of, because at the time I was uh, I was only young. I didn't really know that there was that much opportunities to take advantage of at the time, because I was too I was I was too scared to ask. I was too scared to dive a bit more into. They wouldn't tell you if you wanted to go somewhere, you had to go find out. They're not going to tell you. You're not going to hold your hand. You have to figure that out yourself. And I wish I did a little bit more. But um, I went to different as- uh, different places. The, the, probably the furthest I went was the Falklands down south. And that's a very strange place. A very strange place. It's, it's, um, it's fun fact for you, for your listeners right now, the Falklands is home to the biggest corridor in the world. And it's about two miles long. And um, 
I walked. I used to walk up and down that corridor every day, twice a day, because I lived at the top and I had to work down the bottom. I had to walk up and down it. So it's a, it's a, a quite a surreal moment. But that was obviously more, um, I would say, UK based. But when I went to different places, I went to the US a lot, um, especially over in Nevada, because I was based in Lionel, which is home to the Hercules. C-130s, which are the big cargo planes. So the, the pilots used to go to Nevada Desert to do the training because it's the Nevada Desert is very close or the closest they can get to um, in Afghanistan and Iraq because of the weather and the environment and the terrain. So they used to go over to Nevada and um, do the terrain and that. And I always remember one story that I had went over there it was only because i was a supplier and we had to bring the kit with us and uh, we brought all the spares all the all the bits and pieces are it's like a pop-up shop you know you make yourself your own desk if you need something come see ryan he'll, he'll sort you out you know it's like a black market trader <laughs> it's weird and um the first day we get there they were like um oh we're all going to go it's the first day there we're all going to go for a night out so we went out to one of the local bars and stuff and we rock up there and I love America so much. I think it's a great place because you walk in there and they're open arms. Oh, you're in the military. Oh, you're from the UK. Oh, my God, you guys are amazing. Come over and join us. I'm like, oh, this is great. You guys are awesome. But next thing you know, it's like three hours later and there's a lot of alcohol being consumed. But then they didn't realize that you're actually up the next day flying. I wasn't flying, obviously. It was the pilots. But they were with us. They were worse state than I was. So they're drinking away. And I'm like, oh, God, this is going to be messy tomorrow. So I went home about two o'clock in the morning and we were supposed to be flying at eight o'clock the next morning and I left first. So I had no idea what was going on. And the pilots who were supposed to be flying this billion dollar plane the next day are still in the bar. So I didn't think much of it. So I woke up the next morning at seven. Oh, the worst hangover known to man. And I rock up and I see the to the plane, the aircraft, and I see the pilots taking like kind of pure oxygen from a tank behind them with, you know, the face mask that you get in, this, the, in the hospital and they're just puffing away at this thing. And I'm like, oh, my God, what are you guys doing? They went, we feel great. We've only had two hours sleep. And I'm like, really? He goes, no, have a shot of this and shoved it in my face. Felt like a million bucks after that. It was great. And, uh, yeah, the hangover was gone. We felt great. But I tell you what, walking up, walking up to that aircraft, seeing them two just puffing away, I was like, oh, my God. So it's, uh, it's quite good, to be honest. But, um it was the what the, Afghanistan was strange because I never went there in the military. I never went. I didn't have a chance to. Um, that was one of the main reasons I left. There, there's a lot of budget cuts in the, the air force and a lot, a lot of forces back then. So I was like, right, same for me. I want to get myself back out to normality. But when I went out there, it was very strange because I started off flying to Dubai. They send you tickets to Dubai because that's where the head office is. Uh, the company that I worked for. So you had to go for a medical. And at that time, I'd never been to Dubai before. I'd never been to the Middle East properly. I've been to Cyprus and all that sort of stuff with the military, but never been to actual, like, um, the Middle East sort of stuff. And that was a culture shock because Dubai is amazing. It's I don't know if you've ever been yourself, sir, but it's absolutely fantastic place. Everything is up. You, 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 you keep looking up and everything's there. And it was really fantastic. But... We supposed to stay there for like a day and a bit, but 
over at the time it was, a, I think it was January, and over in Afghanistan, I didn't know this, they have really bad snow over there. I didn't realize this in Kabul because it's up north. And um, it was like, yeah, we can't fly. So I spent five days in Dubai for nothing, all expenses paid, which was the best time ever. <laughs> and uh, I was like, this is great. But as soon as I landed there, it was, um, it was a, basically, it, it was reality at home. You realize where you are. Um, and it's just like, yeah, we're not in Kansas anymore, guys. We're in, this is a, this is a, a, a bit of a naughty place. And it was a, very much a culture shock, getting used to everything, different nationalities, getting used to their sort of way of life because you're a foreigner in their country. You're the one that has to adapt what they're all about. You have to accommodate what they're all about and how they live. So you have to really adapt to that as well as a Westerner coming over to the East. And um, that was a bit, I wasn't say difficult. It was just um, a change because the the people over there, the locals, because what we did work with locals over there, and they were just like normal. You don't you think it? They're just normal people just going about the day. Yes, they've not got iPhones or these lavish cars, but they survive and they get onto it. It's just a shame the country's uh, in the state of the sense, to be quite honest with you. Especially when you speak to people firsthand who have seen it before all the the stuff happened with um, like the Taliban and Al Qaeda and all that sort of stuff, because. Afghanistan used to be an amazing country back in the 70s, 60s and 70s before the trip started. And it's quite kind of somber to hear the stories from people saying that to you. And it's, it's the older generation. It's just it's quite kind, of, quite kind of disheartening, really, to be fair. But fingers crossed they make it back to normal again. You never know. Yeah, you never, you never know exactly. Now, what was your favourite place to visit? Um, Las Vegas. <laughs> Without a doubt. I had so much fun in Las Vegas. I love that place. Love that place. I, I want to go again, but I don't want to go again, if that makes sense. I think it was great fun, and I had a really good time there. But, um, yeah, it's, it's the sort of place you can get in a lot of trouble there, to be quite honest with you, especially when you've got a big group of military guys. and uh, It's just so much fun. But I need one place as well was Dubai. Dubai was great. and a very an amazing time there. Um, I also had a, a lot of time in Jordan. Jordan was a great place as well, to be quite honest with you. And that was um, a very kind of, you say it's a strict place, but it wasn't. It, the, the culture, I'm a big fan of visiting cult, uh, like culture within a country. And I love to know, before I go to a country, I want to know everything about it. I want to know the history of it. I want to know the ins and outs of it so I can go and experience that more than anything else and see about it and Jordan was great. That was a, a really fascinating country to go to, especially the, the obviously the ruins, the temples, and the history behind it. It's fascinating. I really like that. Um, Cyprus was great because that had a great history as well. Um, that had an amazing, like, kind of the Civil War history. And as you can tell, I'm a massive history buff and I love it. But if I was going to go anywhere, I'd go back to Cyprus just because of the history behind it. But if I wanted to go and have fun, yeah, I'm going to go back to the States, guys. You've got me hooked. You've got me hooked. <laughs> Yes, when all is safe in the world. Now, so when you left the military, you started this recruitment business. Can you talk a little bit about the high and the low of that business? Yeah, yeah, I did. Well, when I left, I came back. The reason why I left Afghanistan was, this is a well, this is a fun fact for you. It's not a fun fact, it's a true story. The company I used to work there, I don't mind saying it because the company's now, I don't know if the company's still going, but it's a company called Supreme. 
And they were contracted by the DOD in Afghanistan for, God, since the, 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 the conflict started, since 2001. And I was out there in 2000, I was out there for 2011, 2013. And uh, they lost the contract because what happened, they had, their main job was to bring all the kit in from the US into Afghanistan and distribute it. That was their main bits. They had three tiers of how they had to do it. They had gold, silver, and bronze, depending on how quick they wanted it and depending on what they and all that sort of stuff and what way they did it. So um, this company, right, is cheeky as hell. They charged the American DOD gold, the gold tier, the top tier, but only using the bronze tier to get the stuff in. For the best part of 12 years, they did this. And they got found out. They got found out. It was all over the papers. It was all over. Like, even went to... Um, it went to Congress as well. It was, oh, it was a massive thing. Is how many billions of dollars got wasted and they lost the contract. So I was like, right, okay, time for me to head home. Uh, some other company got the contract. They were willing to bring people on. I was like, no, I've done, I've had enough of this, to be quite honest with you. Because where we were in Afghanistan, how I can describe it is um, how the situation was. You know, you know Walmart? Mm-hmm. You were basically working in Walmart. You are living in the car park and anything outside doesn't like you. <laughs> That's how we were. That, that was there. You were doing, when we were working there, we were doing four or five months on, one month off. And you were just literally segregated to this one bit. We did have an opportunity to go out and um, go down and drive and stuff, which was quite hairy, driving about in armoured cars. But I thought that was time for me to move on from that. It was a few... Few explosions too many for my liking, to be fair. So um, when I came back to the UK, I didn't have anything. I was like, I didn't really have a house and that sort of thing. So I was like, right, what, what am I going to do? What am I going to do in my life? And uh, one of my friends said to me, he said, right, Ryan, the, uh, you, you like to talk to people. You love chatting to people. Why don't you get a sales job? You know, you talk crap to people all the time when you're having a few drinks down your neck. So why don't you make that into a profession? Be a salesman, go into recruitment or something. I was like, that's a good idea. I might try that. And coming from a logistics background, I actually did eventually get a job working for um, a recruitment company who was in logistics. They were looking for someone who had logistics background that they can mold into a salesman sort of thing instead of being the opposite way, having the sales aspect and doing logistics. It would be a lot easier. Give their, give their company a little bit more legitimacy because they've got somebody working with them who knows that the ins and outs of their business. And uh, it was more drivers, like kind of, um, like kind of lawyer drivers, HGV drivers and stuff. And um, we did really well. Um, I got talked, uh, taught, I should say, by one of my friends who was there. She was great, Tony. Taught me everything she knew. And then it was like um, I got headhunted by another company. And it was great. Not a problem at all to start with. And that's when um, my girlfriend at the time fell pregnant during when I was the second company she fell pregnant with my daughter and at that time I was like right what am I going to do I'm going to stay at this company or am I going to do something different of course I'm a risk taker I'm, I'm, I don't really kind of think about too much things into it so I went right I'm spend, I'm earning this company XYZ amount of, out of money I could earn that for myself so everyone if anyone sales people are sitting listening to this you've probably thought the same thing at some point in your life so I said, right, I'm going to do this myself. So I decided, I went, right, I am going to make this. I'm going to make my own company. I'm going to make my own business. And I was like, right, okay, how am I going to do it? And I, I didn't even think of it. I just did it. 
I just did it. And um, I got investment. This is one mistake number one. I got investment from my girlfriend's family and decided to put some, like, can I keep me going? Because the problem was, I've just got a newborn kid. She was about, well, she was just born. She was about three months old at the time. Start this new business. I've got no money coming in. I need to have a buffer of about six months before I can actually start any money, which is any company. We didn't have any savings or anything like that. We didn't have any loans coming through. So they said, right, we'll cover you for X amount of percentage of your business. We'll cover you for six months. I was like, great, no problem at all. So everything went great, fantastic. They were saying to themselves, um, yeah, we're going to keep like a, a private, a kind of on our own back step. We won't get involved with the business. We won't get involved in this. Yeah, that was not right. They got involved in everything. Every decision I did, they got involved with. They put a lot of pressure on us. When things didn't go well, they blamed me. So I'm literally stuck in the middle of... Um, the, my ex-girlfriend at the time, or my ex-fiancee at the time, um, who's saying, you need to get some money come in because we've got a kid. I was like, yeah, I understand that. I've also got our family on my back to say, like, you need to get this sorted because we want return on investment. The market wasn't doing very well at the minute, so the business wasn't thriving as much as I promised it would because I was, like, putting, like, I could make that sort of, like, kind of understanding of going, I can make a million pounds in the first year. You know, it's that sort of mentality. I wasn't in the, the very... I was very deluded back then. You know, it's like you see the, the bright lights and you don't think about everything else behind it. So you obviously think, yeah, come and work. This business is going to make so much money a year, six months. Look what I'm doing now with this company that I'm working with. I could replicate that. But the funniest thing about it is that you can because you're starting from scratch. Just because you've done that with one company doesn't mean you can replicate that into your own because they're staying not for you. They're staying for the company. They've got security of that company brand and name with that. So what makes them going to come and work with you? And that's what really hit home for me. They didn't come and follow me. They didn't come work for me. And it was like, shit, I'm on my own here now. I can't believe this. So, yeah, so things didn't really go to where uh, go to pots. Then panic sets in. Panic sets in. Desperation sets in as well. You're, really, you're, you're desperate to get anything commenced. You're just grabbing any contract. Even if it was the worst contract in the world, you're grabbing it and you try it. And, of course, people not paying invoices, people not paying for your services and really start to rack up. So it, it came to the point that you make rash decisions, you make the wrong decisions and you get yourself into trouble. And that's basically what happened with myself. I was too cocksure of myself. I was too much of, I would say, too much of an idiot, young idiot that didn't know what he was doing, thinking he didn't know what he was doing and it came back and bit me on the ass. And the way it came back and bit me in the ass because I made wrong decisions and everything fell apart in one day. So in one day, um, I lost my, I lost everything in basically one day. My girlfriend, my fiance at the time left the, the kid. She took her car away. Oh, she took my car away, actually. It was my car. She took that. I love that car as well. She took that. She took all the money. She took the house and left me with about a 12-year-old Clio, or a Renault Clio. I don't know if you've seen it, if you get them in the US. Tiny little European cars, fast as shit, and uh, said, you've got one week to leave, and uh, could go sell the house. And that was it. And that was like, crap. Wednesday. Black Wednesday, I call that, because everything happened. That happened in the space of one day. Business gone as well. Business died. And I had nothing. Not even, I had the clothes on my back, and that was it. And literally, the... the 
trying to build myself back up from that was extremely, extremely hard. Um, because it's not just building yourself back up, it's come to terms with the realization of what's just happened and the realization that you messed up, mate. You messed up and you're gonna have to deal with this. And you're gonna have to live up, live, live with this because you made some decisions that were wrong. I could make some excuses and say, yeah, these decisions were because of X, Y, Z. Yeah, they will, they probably were, but you still made the decisions. You've got to come to terms with that. You've got to live with that. You've got to move on from it is more importantly. So that was the main thing about when the, the, the business side of things. And um, it's somber way to obviously talk about it there, but this happened a few years ago. I'm cool with it. I'm happy with it. I can't change it. So why dwell on it? So then when you got to that point where you were able to get past it and kind of say like, okay, this happened, life is moving on, were you able to rebuild yourself? It took a long time. It took a long time because it was working. It was basically, I was in denial for a long time. I think, can I, I don't know. I, I can't really, ex, I'll try and explain it as much as I can. When you're in that sort of situation, so I went and moved in with, with a friend into their house and I was living literally out of like a box room, which I could literally put my hands to left and right and touch each wall. And um, didn't even have a bed, I had a mattress, which I was living in and that was it. And it was just like, I was in denial more than anything else. You know, I'm not one to blame here. Everyone else is to blame. I'm the one that's did everything right and it's just, bad luck and all that sort of thing. But fundamental part of it is you, it's, you have to really realize and get yourself back from reality. And then that took me a long time to realize that, to snap myself out of that kind of mindset because it's a hard thing to go through when you lose everything and everything such a short period of time. And coming to terms with it wasn't the easiest thing either because you still – you're still in that sort of mind. You think at that time I was thinking that everything that happened wasn't anything to do with me. It was everyone else's fault. They didn't understand what I was trying to do. People out there, why when I was doing the business, all oh, the clients out there didn't understand what I was doing. They're not ready for what I was trying to do. So I was blaming everyone else uh, because I was too busy not blaming myself. I didn't want to blame myself because I thought I was right. And that's what it came down to. And it took a long time for me to understand that, right, okay. Time to sort yourself out now. Wasn't getting anywhere. I was literally hating the world right there, to be fair. I was hating everything. And I went through some, I wouldn't say a dark place because that's a bit disrespectful to people who have been in that sort of scenario with mental health, but it could have gone that way. Um, but I didn't, I had a lot of good friends run about me and I had a lot of support run about me. And one thing led to another and they basically slapped me out of it. When they say support, they were basically kicking off at me saying, stop being an idiot. You need to realize this. And it took a long, long time for me to actually get out of that. But when I did, eventually, it wasn't long ago, to be fair. We were talking about, I think it was 2017 that actually everything came to when I say Black Wednesday happened. But I mean, only just recently, I would say about 2019, I really kind of figured it out, 2019, 20. And that's when I went, right, okay, it's time to fight back now. Now it's time to get yourself sorted. You've got, you've got responsibilities. You've got a daughter. Yeah, fair enough, you, you messed up. I've sat there and talked about the whole situation for a number of different years. I've talked to many coaches, talking to people about this. I'm okay with what happened. I'm okay with what I've done. It's now time for me to resolve this and rectify it 
and do the best I can. And I needed to step up. And it took a lot of soul searching, a lot of very um, uncomfortable talks with people. And um, eventually I decided to kind of go, right, okay, switch out that mindset and kind of look deep into you. Because you lose a lot of confidence when something like that happens. You lose a lot of kind of respect. Well, you think you do from other people, but that's not the case because you think differently. You think that, oh, my God, these people are going to, they must think of this, that, and the other. But they don't. They're there to support you. They're there to help you. Your friends and family are there to help you. And I was pushing them away because I was too busy judging them for judging me. And it's a ridiculous thing to think that I'm judging you because you're judging me. But they're not judging you. They're trying to help you. And it's, it's crazy. It's a really crazy mindset to get yourself into and try to get yourself out of it is even worse. But getting out of that did take some time, did take some soul searching, and it was a very hard road. And it was literally coming to the, step, the point of you've got that, as I said to you before, that we've got the responsibilities to actually do. You, you, people are relying on you. People can see what you're capable of and not worried about what people think about you but worry about what you think about yourself. It's all about in your own head and not to do with anyone else. So if you can actually take away all that sort of like kind of outside interference, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. and then listen to yourself and find out, you bring that confidence back out, you bring out yourself again. And that's basically what happened to me, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it seems like it, it's worked out and it's definitely a better outlook now so what are you doing now for business? For business side, I um, I started up my own business again. I've done it again, guys. I have actually done it again. I've learned from my mistakes before. And I went, right, okay, I knew what I did well. And the fundamental part of my first business could not go on right is because I did not put the work in. And that is simple as that. That's what I found out. I didn't put the work in to get it there. So when I was that much of... I think back to myself back then, I'm going, God, you're, you're, you're an idiot. Six years ago, you were such an idiot because you think that people are going to come to you, the business is going to come to you, but no, you have to put the work in. The same with everything in life. You know, I sound like some sort of like a life coach now, but I don't want to come across that way. But you, whenever you want to do something in life, you have to put yourself into that sort of aspect. You have to put the work in. You have to pay your dues before you reap the rewards. And that was the mentality that I was not in before. I was thinking, I've not paid my dues. I want the rewards now. So it's like, okay, well, that doesn't, life doesn't, life is not that good. You're very lucky if you get that way, but life ain't that great, buddy. So I'm started off from scratch, but I'm actually, instead of thinking that I know everyone, I've actually been mentored by someone else. So someone who's been in the industry for like 20, 30 years, still, still the same industry, recruitment, uh, logistics, headhunting, uh, which we're now branching out into the US, by the way. So if anyone wants a job, come hit me up blatant plug there sorry about that um <laughs> but um it, i'm being mentored by someone else is getting someone behind you who's got that conference and they've brought the conference back out into me because they've got the faith they understand what i'm all about and they're willing to teach me and this is the thing so i'm not the young well five years ago knobhead who thinks he knows everything um the 2021 version of me who's willing to learn instead of thinking he knows everything and that's a, a great mentality and a different mindset to be in so it's, it's not been too bad the pandemic has not been great to be quite honest with you guys you know it's it's a lot of working from home especially with uh, the last year but good thing about it is during the pandemic i've been podcasting as well and uh, that's been great 
Um, it's been keeping me keeping me sane more than anything else. I know about yourself, Sarah, that's uh, speaking to other people and getting their aspects and things. Really, it puts life into perspective, really, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. One of the reasons I started the podcast was purely just because I needed an, a, a new creative outlet that I was missing because the pandemic took all of that away. Yeah. So what is your podcast about? It's called the Walk the Line podcast. It's honestly similar. It's a similar kind of interview show where I interview people from all around the world. Hear the stories. I love a story. I love listening to people. It's exactly similar to yourself. It's, it's, I love listening to people's stories, where they came from, and all that sort of thing. I think everyone does love a story. And I've kind of, I've not really, I started off with just like you kind of, I used to call it my, my missus turned around, my girlfriend to me the other day there. She's like, You're, you should get a slogan for your show. And I was like, what's that? She went, interesting stories from real people. I was like, oh, oh, that's a good one. So I'm going to copyright. So don't, no one nick it. No one take that away. I'm, nick, I'm copywriting that. So it's listen to other people's stories, listen to their takes on life, understand what they've been through and what they've done to overcome it. Because everyone loves a, a story when people love a, a kind of underdog story to rise up. And I love that. So it's literally about that. But I've also kind of branched out into different. I've got a few, had recently a few musical guests on there from musicians to comedians God, to anyone, really, to be fair. I think the, the, the best one I've had was uh, I interviewed uh, a gentleman, I don't know if you've, you've came across him before, um, Chris Gordon, who got scratched on his arm and his garage door. And the next thing you know, he had a life-threatening skin disease, which was eating his arm. And I was like, that is messed up. Just by scratching his arm and his garage door, it was ridiculous. And uh, his struggle to get through that was fantastic, so inspiring. So it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a show that... Hopefully makes people smile, entertains people, and uh, hopefully they want to come back and listen to more, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. And you, you always love a good overcoming story. Now, before we start to wrap things up, is there anything else you would like to share with the listeners? Oh, I don't know. Well, you're putting me on the spot now, aren't you? God, not really, to be fair. Well, one thing is, is just... Coming, it's the Walk the Line podcast. I'm going to plug my show massively right now. So you've given me the opportunity. I'm going to say it again. You can't sense me. I'm going to do it. It's, it's called the Walk the Line podcast, available on all major podcasts and platforms out there. We've just started up uh, a new Facebook group as well, which is uh, building a community because that's what it's all about. It's getting people's involvement. We're getting some great guests coming on recently. Um, semi-famous, I don't want to say we've got celebrities, but there's a few lined up later on, especially from the US. Um, a couple from the UK as well, but all around the world. It's just basically making people smile and making people happy. That is the main, and entertaining them. That's the main thing. If they can understand my crazy fast Scottish accent at the same time. Awesome. And I'll be sure to leave the link to your podcast in the description of this episode. Oh, thanks. Thanks very much. Your, your invoice will be in the post. There you go. Now, with all of my guests at the end, I ask a random question that's typically not with what we've talked about. And so my question for you, because I think you'll have an entertaining answer, is simply, what is the best thing to do on a rainy day? Oh, God. I tell you what, if it was, um, well, if you asked me this two months ago, I'd be sitting there going on my sofa with a 12-pack of beer playing Call of Duty but, uh, <laughs> on a rainy day. Do you know what? I love going out in the rain. This is the weirdest thing. Everyone says a rainy day or you're stuck indoors. If I've got 
if, if it's too if it's too rainy, I said I'm going to go into detail about this one. I said I'm going to go into it. If it's too rainy, you have to stay indoors. I like to make things like games and do something creative. You know, it's, uh, make I don't know, make a fort. Get your get, get your front room made into like a fort. You know, build a big fort up, make some covers, entry signs, invite your friends round. You can only come in with the, the, the secret password and all that sort of stuff. Or, but I also like going out in the rain. Get yourself a golf umbrella and walk in the rain. There's nothing better than walking in the rain. It kind of puts a lot of perspective. It's like eye open. But you can only do it for 10 minutes because it gets really cold and um, it's not good fun when you're really wet. But um, yeah, yeah, if you're stuck indoors, like I, I, I am the probably the most laziest childhood guy if I'm stuck at home because I just like switching the telly on and just watching YouTube or whatever and just be in the moment. It's just be in the moment and just take it, take it what it, life what it is. Don't be upset about what's going on and just just do what you want. You know, put some music on, put some good food on if you've got your significant other with you. Get them involved as well, you know, do like a cooking show. There's one thing that me and uh, my other half done, we've bought this book and she, she was, it's called The Adventure Book. And it's it's a really great thing if you guys have a chance to do it. And it's creative ways to take yourself out there and do different things by your budget. And it's a great thing to do. And it's come up with ideas and games and all that sort of stuff. Don't be just stuck indoors watching, I don't know, like, Grey's Anatomy for like six hours. Get yourself sorted. Do something different. Make yourself, make yourself known, if that makes sense. All right, that brings this episode to a close. As I mentioned, the link for Ryan's podcast will be in the description. So that'll be a link tree, which will bring you to all the different links relating to the podcast. And of course, in the description is the website for this podcast, which will bring you to all of our social medias and all of the good things that we're doing. And if you would like to be a guest on this podcast, the email is there as well. So I'd love to hear from you. And if you'd like to support the podcast monetarily, the Patreon is in the description as well. So thank you so much, Ryan, for spending time with me today and to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next week. Bye. Take care, everyone. Thank you.